Navi 219 took my baby away. The 219 took my baby away. The 217 will bring her back someday. You take the TNP and I'll take the LMN. Mama said you take the TNP and I'll take the LMN. We got to be lucky, honey, to ever meet again. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Jazz Focus, WETF, the Jazz Station in South Bend, Indiana. And today, we're going to be listening to some great New Orleans jazz from 1940. My name is John Clark, and I'm happy to be the host of this program. Hope you're, you've been enjoying the programs we've done so far. Um, this program follows up on one we did a few weeks ago on Chicago jazz. Now, this is in tribute to a fellow named George Avakian, who died a few years ago. He was almost 100 years old. He was a jazz producer back to the time when he was in college in the 1930s. He uh, was writing letters to record companies in the middle and late 1930s, trying to get them to re-release earlier jazz and then to try to get them to record earlier jazz musicians. Remember, this was right at the height of the swing era, the big band era. And uh, he was interested in jazz from the earlier period, from the 1920s and even before that. And his first album for decades, uh, was Chicago Jazz, which we played a few weeks ago, and that featured the music of Eddie Condon, Bud Freeman, Jimmy McPartland, uh, lots of people from the Chicago uh, jazz scene of the 1920s, some of whom stayed in Chicago and some of whom came to New York. And that album uh, is considered really the first jazz album. It was in the days of 78s, of course, and there were six of them. Um, Six of them? Yes, yeah, so I guess six of them. There were uh, So there were 12 sides all together. So front and back of those 78s. So there were three bands, each made four sides. And Avakian, as young as he was, he was only about 18 or 19 at the time, wrote the liner notes. And this is probably one of the first excursions into jazz liner note writing at the time from 1940. And the album did very well for Decca Records. Uh, so Avakian was encouraged to pitch a couple of more ideas to the company. One was on uh, New Orleans jazz, and another was on Kansas City jazz. And we're going to talk about Kansas City in a later program. It turns out that Avakian found out how much money a jazz producer could lose uh, as a young student. He didn't have much money to begin with, and he found out that the money that Decca paid him didn't even cover his transportation costs to go to Chicago to record one of the bands. So he passed off the producership of these uh, uh, subsequent albums to some other people. Steve Smith was a jazz uh, impresario and uh, producer and so forth and who had a, a fondness for New Orleans jazz. So he produced this uh, set of recordings that we're going to be listening to today. And again, this is 678s that came out on a, on a bound album with liner notes from Decca Records. These were uh, recordings that were made in 1940, in the spring of 1940. And it features Three bands, really, although uh, five leaders, if you follow that. Uh, two of the bands were uh, had slightly different personnels and were led by a different member in each case, but they were basically the same group. 
We started out with two maybe familiar records, uh, Perdido Street Blues and the 219 Blues, both featuring Louis Armstrong. Now, Louis Armstrong had been leading a big band for 10 or 12 years by this point, 1940. He would occasionally play some small group recordings and, and sort of harken back to his glory days when he was recording with the Hot Five and Hot Seven and uh, making all the waves in, in, in jazz uh, by doing those records. He was still, of course, a very uh, formidable player in his big band days as a trumpet and as a vocalist, and he was a, a marketable commodity as well. As an African-American musician, there probably were not too many others who could outdraw him or, or, or you know, uh, beat him in terms of audience appeal and money and so forth. But he always sort of gravitated back to small groups, uh, the types that he started playing with in New Orleans. He was born in 1901, of course, uh, died in 1971, and he... Uh, started playing what we would call New Orleans jazz, also known as Dixieland and other things, before uh, leaving for Chicago in about 1921, where he went to join his mentor, King Oliver, another trumpet player, cornet in those days, and they had a band uh, in uh, Chicago that was really at the top of the heap in terms of jazz, King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band, featuring the two cornets, which was a little unusual to begin with, but mostly all other New Orleans musicians, including several who are going to be on these various recordings today. So those two recordings were made in May of 19, uh, May of 1940, May 27th, actually. They were recorded in New York, and it was kind of a reunion of musicians who had played together in the 1920s. Um, Louis Armstrong, of course, on cornet, actually trumpet by this point, and singing. And interesting because there were uh, no other vocals on this recording set other than the ones that Louis did uh, on the two we heard and one coming up. In fact, these Georgiavakian um, projects didn't feature many much in the way of vocals at all. There were none on the Chicago sides and only two or three on the Kansas City sides, which we will hear in a few weeks. So with Louis at this point was Sidney Bechet, the great soprano sax and clarinet player who was also from New Orleans. And of course, um, Bechet had had a, a very long career even by 1940 and had been all over the world playing his type of music. His uh, dates were from 1897 to 1959. At the end of his life, the last eight or nine years, he was a resident of uh, a suburb of Paris and he was really worshipped by the French. Uh, the French uh, public at that time thought very highly of New Orleans jazz. It was a very popular form of music and Bechet was considered uh, the greatest living exponent and he actually had something very close to a state funeral when he died. On trombone was a non-New Orleans player, a man named Claude Jones, and uh, we actually heard a little bit of his playing, uh, I think, last week on our Fletcher Henderson show. He uh, was a, a big band trombonist, but he was pretty adept at uh, small group styles as well. He came east to New York with McKinney's Cotton Pickers in the late 1920s, and he had a long career with big bands, including... Um, Cab Calloway's band and Don Redmond's band and the Fletcher Henderson band as well in the 1930s and 40s, but he was tapped to play uh, the ensemble role of a, a slide trombone or a, or a tailgate trombone player in this style. On piano was Louis Russell, who had led a big band in the 1920s that featured quite a few New Orleans musicians. Uh, he lived from uh, 1902 to 1963. He was a native of Panama who won a, a lottery in about 1916-1917 and used the money to relocate to New Orleans, where he learned the style of music, played uh, in many clubs in New Orleans before leaving for Chicago in about 1925. And he had a big band there, or a, actually it wasn't a terribly big band, it was a small band that recorded. He also played with King Oliver's band in the late 20s. Then he came to New York and he had a, an excellent band that featured people like Red Allen and Albert Nicholas and J.C. Higginbottom and was really a, a, an exciting big band uh, in the African-American community in the late 1920s. He had uh, been playing with the band that was backing Louis Armstrong for most of the 30s, the big band. In fact, he was the music director of that for a while and so he plays on this as well. Then we have uh, Bernard Addison, a guitar player from Maryland. He was uh, well known as a big band player. He had a long life from 1905 to 1990. Uh, he was probably best known or, or most familiar to audiences as the guitar accompanist for the Mills Brothers in the 1930s and, and 40s, but he did quite a few jazz dates and played with some big bands as well. 
On bass, we had Wellman Bro, who uh, was the oldest musician on this date from 1891. He uh, lived until 1966, and he was best known for playing uh, for a number of years with uh, Duke Ellington's band. He was Duke Ellington's first string bass player. He played some tuba with him as well, but he made the transition to bass and brought Ellington along with him in that case. And then finally, we have Zudi Singleton, one of the great New Orleans drummers. He lived from 1898 to 1975. He played in many great New Orleans bands, Dixieland bands, um, and some swing bands as well. He was actually on one of the early bebop sessions, which is kind of unusual. He certainly wasn't a bebop player, but uh, he did himself noble on that with uh, Charlie Parker and uh, others as well. So as I said, we heard the Perdido Street Blues, which was a blues uh, by Johnny Dodds, I believe, or and uh, Lil Hardin. It was originally recorded by the New Orleans Wanderers, a group led by Johnny Dodds in 1926. And then we ended up with the 219 Blues, which is credited to Mamie de Doom, uh, a New Orleans fixture, a woman who played piano and uh, wrote blues and uh, played in the Storyville in the Red Light District in New Orleans before World War I. So we have two more sides from the, uh, from the Louis Armstrong New Orleans sessions. The first one is uh, called uh, Colcart Blues. And this was one that Louis had recorded with Clarence Williams' Blue Five in 1924. And uh, he is credited uh, as having written this tune with his wife, Lil Hardin Armstrong. We'll be hearing a little bit more about her later. And this recording features just a quartet, Armstrong, Bechet, Bernard Addison on guitar and Wellman Bro on bass. So it's a nice intimate little recording and it celebrates, uh, among other things, Louis Armstrong's one of his first jobs uh, as driving a coal cart in New Orleans. And then following that, we're going to hear a tune uh, from 1913 called Down in Honky Tonk Town, actually 1916, by McLaren and, and Smith. This was a pop tune from that era that has come back in jazz a few times over the years, and this was one of the first really fine recordings of this. No vocal on this, just a really steaming recording. And after that, we're going to hear two sides by Johnny Dodds. And these were sides that were recorded in June of 1940, about a week or so after the Louis Armstrong sides, but in Chicago. I'll tell you a little bit about the personnel when we get to that. These were actually Johnny Dodds' last recordings. He died a couple of months after these were made. So we're going to hear four recordings now. Cold Card Blues, Down in Honky Tonk Town, Gravere Street Blues, and the Red Onion Blues. like you don't want to scream of course the cart was hard and it almost killed me up but just to leave it go boy it was my cup i've got those cold cart blues till i really don't know what to do
the point of these uh, albums or, or collections that uh, George Avakian put forth to the powers that be at DECA was not to really recreate the music of New Orleans or Chicago or Kansas City, but to kind of give an update of how that music had been going and how those performers were still performing, because these were all musicians who had been professionally active since the... 1910s anyway, and had not retired or anything like that. Most of them had been playing quite consistently all the way through that era, and so stylistically they may have changed a little bit. Um, stylistically, in terms of these New Orleans records, the earliest were probably these two that we just heard by Johnny Dodds. So the first one was called uh, the Red Onion Blues. The Red Onion was a bar, or a tavern, saloon, what have you, in a somewhat dicey part of New Orleans where a lot of jazz musicians over the years found employment. Uh, Clarence Williams uh, wrote the tune, the Red Onion Blues, we just heard, and also had a group, a recording group in the 1920s called the Red Onion Jazz Babies, which featured Louis Armstrong and uh, Sidney Bechet, among others. So we heard the Johnny Dodds band do that, and this band was made up of uh, some of his cohorts from Chicago, who he'd been recording with since the 1920s. Natty Dominique was a New Orleans trumpet player. Actually, he was a cornet player in this case. He had a long life from 1896 to 1982. He came from a, a long line of New Orleans musicians and cigar makers, actually, and ended up in Chicago, where he made quite a few records and was recording right up into the 70s, I believe. On trombone was Preston Jackson, who was from New Orleans, although I don't believe he played in New Orleans. I don't think he started playing until after he went to Chicago. He lived from 1902 to 1983. He's featured in a short solo at the end of the second tune we just heard, which was the Gravier Street Blues. Gravier Street is a street in New Orleans, one of the many streets immortalized in song. The South Rampart Street Parade, Bourbon Street Parade, Basin Street Blues, what have you. This was another street. We also heard... Um, Richard Miney Jones, who lived from 1892 to 1945. He was from New Orleans. He was a piano player and a songwriter and also a record producer. He was responsible for getting Louis Armstrong uh, and the Hot Five, their recording uh, sessions set up for OK in 1925 and 26. He was kind of a talent scout in Chicago and also wrote standards like, for example, Trouble in Mind and other songs as well. We heard Lonnie Johnson, who was a, known as a blues guitarist and singer. Later on, he became known as a rhythm and blues singer, but he had originally been born in New Orleans and started playing violin before he played guitar, and he lived from 1895 to uh, 1970. He had a long and interesting career. John Lindsay was the bass player. He also played trombone in New Orleans from 1894 to 1950. He recorded with Jelly Roll Morton in the 1920s. He had a, an interesting career as well. And the band was rounded out by the drummer Baby Dodds, Johnny Dodds' brother, younger brother, actually. He lived from 1898 to 1959, and he, uh, with Zudi Singleton, are considered really the two greatest examples of New Orleans jazz drumming. So as I said, we heard those two tunes, the Gravier Street Blue or the Red Onion Blues, followed by the Gravier Street Blues, both of which are credited to Clarence Williams uh, as compositions. Who knows? Clarence Williams probably didn't write too many songs, but he was a producer and uh, a publisher and quite a good businessman. And these followed the last two songs by Louis Armstrong's group, the Cold Card Blues by the Quartet with Louis Armstrong, Sidney Bechet. Uh, accompanied by Bernard Addison and Wellman Bro, and Down in Honky Tonk Town. And those uh, four songs by Louis Armstrong feature some truly inspired improvisations between Armstrong and Sidney Bechet. They were apparently two musicians who at this stage of their career didn't care terribly much for each other. There was a lot of competition. Armstrong felt that Bechet was just a, an unpleasant individual, and uh, he felt as a trumpet player he needed to control the ensemble. Bechet was a very uh, prickly fellow and a uh, very forthright person and musician, and he resented Armstrong's uh, efforts to take over the band because Bechet was older, and so he should have been able to do that, and so you get the picture there. We also heard a couple of solos from Bernard Addison on guitar and uh, uh, Claude Jones on trombone and Louis Russell in a kind of a rare piano solo from him. And then at the end of Down in Honky Tonk Town, we heard a nice long exposed solo by Zudi Singleton, a great drum solo. We're going to hear a couple more of those coming up a little bit later. So those were our first uh, six recordings uh, that were on this New Orleans jazz album put out by Decca in 1940. So this almost the same band that accompanied Johnny Dodds uh, made two more recordings on the same day, June 5th, 1940, but with a switch of drummer and clarinet player. They let the Dodds brothers go, and they brought in another one of the great New Orleans jazz clarinet players from Chicago, Jimmy Noon. Jimmy Noon had... Um, uh, been a, a, a 
a standard bearer for New Orleans jazz in Chicago at the time uh, in the 1920s and into the uh, 30s. He ended up out on the West Coast uh, where he was playing with Kid Ory's band when he died in 1944. Uh, he was born in 1895, so he actually was the oldest of the three clarinet players so far, but he got the latest start. He toured vaudeville in the 1910s um, and started making recordings in Chicago in 1923. Had a long series of recordings uh, with his own band, the Apex Club Band, and various names for that, which featured a an unusual front line of clarinet and alto sax with a rhythm section. Uh, he was also playing in some of the big theater bands in Chicago at the time. As an African-American musician, he uh, was... Uh considered a very versatile musician because he could double on all kinds of saxophones and he was a, a good music reader as well. He had some significant uh, formal training uh, from Lorenzo Tio in uh, New Orleans and also from uh, Fran Shipp who was a great clarinet teacher in Chicago who also taught Benny Goodman and Buster Bailey. So he, uh, Jimmy Noon, had a much more pure technique than for example Johnny Dodds or Sidney Bechet had. So this band features the same musicians we just talked about, Natty Dominique and Preston Jackson, Richard M. Jones, Lonnie Johnson, John Lindsay, and the drummer Tubby Hall, who was another fine New Orleans drummer, almost exact contemporary of Jimmy Noon, in fact, from 1895 to 1945. He had recorded uh, quite often with Louis Armstrong's early big bands in the early 1930s. Some of the films that you see of the Armstrong big band, for example, in the Betty Boop cartoon, I'll Be Glad When You're Dead, You Rascal, You, you can see uh, Tubby Hall as the drummer in that group. So we're going to hear two songs by this band. We're going to hear the Keystone Blues, which was composed by Clarence Williams, and then the New Orleans Hopscop Blues, which was recorded, uh, or composed rather, by a blues pianist named George Thomas, who made a number of recordings in the 20s. Uh, this was one of his more famous compositions. Bessie Smith recorded this as well. Uh, George Thomas was the brother of the blues singer Sippy Wallace, and also of another blues pianist named Hosiel Thomas, who, or rather Herschel Thomas, and another blues singer named Hosiel Thomas. It was a, a very, very um, broad family of music there. Um, and this song was, as I said, recorded by Bessie Smith and a number of other groups too, but this is uh, quite a good one that features is the great Jimmy Noon clarinet playing. Then we're going to go to two tunes by Zooty Singleton's band, and we'll tell you about the personnel there. Stylistically, these are more on the swing side, but they feature some great New Orleans playing as well. So we're going to start out with the Keystone Blues, followed by the New Orleans Hopscop Blues, then Shimmy Shawabble and King Porter Stomp. <laughs> Thank you. 
So that gets the blood flowing. That was the um, Zooty Singleton band. Zooty Singleton and his band from 1940. Let me tell you what we started out with. We started out with the Jimmy Noon uh, contribution to this uh, tribute to New Orleans jazz that was done in Chicago in uh, June of 1940. And we heard the Keystone Blues and the New Orleans Hopscot Blues. Now, as I said, this was almost the same band as the one that had recorded the two Johnny Dodds tunes, with the exception of the clarinet and the drummer, but a very different sound to the group. The Dodds band was a very earlier, early style uh, jazz group where most of the time it was the ensemble playing. There were very few actual solos per se in that. Uh, once we get to the noon recordings, though, it's much more uh, modern sounding in the sense of a swing type of group, even though the players were the same, and most of them were uh, fairly old-style New Orleans players, but they'd clearly absorbed the later stylistic elements as well. And we heard some great solos, not only from Jimmy Noon, but from Natty Dominique, who was not known as a particularly effective soloist sometimes. He was a good lead player, but here he played some very fine uh, solos with uh, the plunger mute and uh, also leading uh, the group as well. Preston Jackson on trombone, heard especially well on New Orleans Hopscot Blues. We heard Lonnie Johnson play a guitar solo or two in there, very, very well done, bluesy, but uh, sophisticated as well. Richard M. Jones on piano. John Lindsay, we heard play a little short bass solo in there as well. And then Tubby Hall on drums, a very, very fine little group. And then we advanced, uh, actually we, we regressed by a week uh, to May of 1928, uh, May, of, May 28th of 1940, back in New York, the Zooty Singleton Band. Uh, stylistically, however, this was even later than the Jimmy Noon Group, much more of a swing type of group. These musicians, with the exception of... Um, uh, Zooty Singleton were on the younger side, I suppose. Zooty, as we said, had been um, uh, a New Orleans musician, and he had uh, uh, grown up down there from 1898 to 1975, but he kept pace with developments in music. As I said, he was on one of the early bebop sessions as well. He did some big band work, not too much, but uh, was primarily known as a small group drummer. And with him in this band was Henry Red Allen, a great trumpet player, born in New Orleans from 1908. He lived until 1967. He uh, came to New York in the late 1920s, but didn't like it, so he went back uh, to New Orleans for a while and then turned around and came back to New York to play with... Um, uh, uh, the Louis Russell band. He also had an offer to go with Duke Ellington, but that did not work out. He stayed with Louis Russell even after Louis Armstrong took over the band, and Louis featured Red Allen uh, fairly often uh, on trumpet, even though, of course, he played the same instrument that Louis did. And then Red went on to play with the Henderson band. We heard him last week on the Fletcher Henderson broadcast, and then the Mills Blue Rhythm band, and then he played mostly in combos. He had his own very fine group in the 1940s, and then he was the house band leader at the Metropole in New York, uh, one of the touristy Dixieland spots, but he was a very um, effervescent trombone or trumpet player and uh, uh, on-stage band leader. Very, very interesting character in jazz. Played some very modern-sounding things. He was assisted by Benny Morton on trombone. Benny Morton was a great uh, trombone player who was from New York, lived from 1907 to 1985. He uh, played often in small groups, especially in his later career, but in his earlier career he was known as a big band player. Played with the Fletcher Henderson Band when he was just about 20 years old, and uh, the Don Redmond Band. He played with uh, Basie's Band in the late 1930s. He actually was in the Broadway uh, pit um, lifestyle for a while. He was one of the first African-American musicians to be hired for Broadway pit bands and also uh, for some of the radio bands at the time. He was a very fine musician. On piano, we had Lil Hardin Armstrong, still going by the Armstrong name, even though she had been divorced from Louis for quite a while. She lived from 1898 to 1971. As I said, she had been playing with King Oliver's band. That's where she met and married Louis Armstrong. And uh, by this point, 1940 or so, she was playing piano, writing music, singing, and running um, some of Decca Recordings' uh, operations in Chicago and New York. She was a, an interesting figure, and she actually composed some very nice tunes as well. Also in the rhythm section, Bernard Addison again. This uh, recording was made one day after the Louis Armstrong uh, recording had been and uh, featured the guitar player, Bernard Addison, and the drummer, Zooty Singleton, from that band as well. 
on bass, another great New Orleans player, Pops Foster, probably the oldest musician we're hearing uh, on these sessions, and uh, although he fits in very well with the more modern stylistics as well. He lived from 1892 to 1969. He was an exponent of the slap bass. He too played with Louis uh, Russell's band and then with Louis Armstrong later on, and then with a host of small groups following that, most notably with Earl Hines in the 1950s. So we heard the Shimmy Shawabble, which was a dance uh, by Spencer Williams that goes back to about 1916 or 17. It was a, almost uh, as much ragtime as jazz, but jazz bands took it over, and we heard a, a, a pretty characteristic version of that from that early period, uh, featuring solos all around, and then a very lively version of Jelly Roll Morton's King Porter Stomp, which kind of treads the middle ground between the ragtime uh, beginnings of that song and the swing band uh, popularity of it that started with the Benny Goodman recording that was based on some Fletcher Henderson recordings from the middle 1930s. And that featured a very long and effective drum solo by the leader, Zooty Singleton. We have two more recordings to play, and they're both with the same band that we just heard. But instead of Zooty Singleton being the leader, Red Allen is the leader um, and is credited as such, even though the band is exactly the same. We're going to hear a standard from the New Orleans canon called the Canal Street Blues, another street in New Orleans and another song uh, celebrating it. This was recorded by King Oliver's band in 1923, and uh, this is a Similar sounding uh, version, maybe not quite as fast, stately in a way, features some excellent solos, especially by Benny Morton on here. And then we're going to end up our show with Down in Jungle Town, another late 1910s song, uh, thankfully with no lyrics, they're a little bit culturally inappropriate at this point, but feature some fiery playing by Edmund Hall on clarinet and uh, Red Allen and also Benny Morton on trombone and a really exceptional ride out from that. So we're going to listen to the Canal Street Blues and Down in Jungle Town and then come back and say our goodbyes. <laughs>
have it. That was Red Allen and his band from 1940. That last tune, Down in Jungle Town, is a little bit older than I thought it was. It was from 1908 by Edward Madden and Theodora Morris. And, uh... Featured, as I said, some great solos all around. And I realized I gave short shrift to the clarinet player, Edmund Hall. Great New Orleans clarinet player. We are, have a bounty of great New Orleans clarinet players today, from Sidney Boucher to Johnny Dodds to Jimmy Noon, who are all roughly contemporaries. Edmund Hall was slightly younger. He was born in 1901. He lived in 1967, and he was considered more of a swing stylist, although he played uh, with a lot of great New Orleans groups as well, including this one. This is when he was just becoming known as a small group player. He had been playing with Claude Hopkins' band and some other big bands of the period, and he played with uh, a small swing group led by Frankie Newton and also by with uh, Teddy Wilson's band a little bit later. But he uh, became much better known as a New Orleans-style Dixieland clarinet player playing with the Eddie Condon groups and a little later with Louis Armstrong's All-Stars. Really fine player. He was said to have been uh, Benny Goodman's favorite clarinet player, and it wouldn't be surprising. So thank you for listening. We've been listening to the Jazz Focus on WETF, the jazz station in South Bend, Indiana. My name is John Clark. Hope you check out my podcast, which is also called The Jazz Focus. You can find that on anchor.fm uh, and also on Spotify and other places as well. So we are finishing up here with our New Orleans jazz tribute. Uh, thank you, George Avakian, for suggesting this and getting it together in 1940. Uh Either next week or maybe the week after, we're going to be doing the third of the triumvirate. We're going to be listening to the 12 sides that were recorded in tribute to jazz in Kansas City, also suggested by George Avakian. So we're going to uh, be listening to that and hearing Mary Lou Williams and Eddie uh, Durham and Hot Lips Page and all sorts of people like that. So, again, hope you enjoyed it and hope to see you soon and uh, hope you uh, let me know that you're enjoying these programs. And... Uh, Send, a, send us an email. Let us know that uh, you like the Jazz Focus and uh, what we're doing. So, until next time, I'm John Clark, and you've listened to the Jazz Focus.